Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to my Haunted Life podcast. I'm your host, Angela Hartjorn, and today we are off the map to where there be monsters. Sea monsters, to be exact. Good morning, goblins and ghouls. How is everyone doing out there today? I hope it's amazing because, let's face it, you deserve it. I have missed you spooky babes so much. We had some family things that we had to attend right after Norman. So now I'm weeks behind with everything and playing catch up. You know how it usually is for me. I'm just, I'm just not going to lie about it anymore. I accept that I'm always behind. This month, I have a lot of fun vampire-related things going on over on Heart and Horn, getting ready for the Arcane Vampire Ball at the end of the month. So, definitely, if you don't follow me over on my business page, please hop over and, you know, check it out. What did you guys think of the little spooky snippet? I'm definitely going to be doing more of those. I'm not sure how many I'll get in during this season, just because I wasn't actually planning on starting them. So a lot of the fun, weird stories that I came across that I couldn't fit into the podcast, I have already probably forgotten. Because it's me. So, but for the fall one already that I've already started working on, let me tell you, I have some weird shit to share with you. Um, I think that's really the only thing for housekeeping. Uh, I'm also not 100% sold on the spooky snippet. I think because as much as I love alliteration, it's really hard to say. It doesn't help I have like allergies killing me so let me know let me know what you think uh, if you have another title idea let me know but yeah I think that's it for uh, housekeeping today nice and simple I'm so excited for this week's episode finally I went and actually recorded the whole thing before I left and I was just so unhappy with it. Like, remember that COVID brain I kept telling you guys before that I was really proud of myself for writing everything? Yeah, this this was this was a casualty of that. And I did not realize it until I started recording. I swear I edited did did this one multiple times, but I was wrong. And the work suffered. So, I'd much rather put out quality than quantity, as we all know, because obviously I'm behind again. So, on this week's episode, we are delving deep into the Columbia River in search of the legendary Colossal Claude, a mysterious sea serpent reported several times near Astoria. Here's the thing about the Pacific Northwest. There are a lot of sea serpents. 
So we are going to examine the history of sightings of Claude, some of his closest neighbors, what he possibly could be, and even, possibly, a new friend. So let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, maybe, you know, something seafaring, like, I don't know, rum? I don't know. Uh, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. Imagine, if you will, being aboard a small ship for like a freaking month on end with the sole purpose of just watching and waiting. Watching and waiting for ships to come in to help guide them down the Columbia River. Watching and waiting for crazy dangerous weather to swell up to put you and your crew at risk. Watching and waiting for something anything to happen. I assume most days are pretty boring. There's those really exciting days though. Then one day you hear a commotion from your fellow crewmates on deck. You run over to meet the other men, all of whom are on the deck watching something. And at this point you guys know what's in the water. You have seen just about everything. So the fact that your crewmen are so excited really gets everybody's attention. You look and see something in the water. It looks like a giant snake body slithering through the water. Then the beast raises its head out of the water. And it has the head of a where we got to stay in Astoria, our hotel was directly on the Columbia River. And when I say directly, apparently this building used to be a shrimp processing factory thing the it's literally built on the dock over the river like the river was underneath us as we slept kind of thing which is pretty cool not gonna lie now we we didn't see anything mysterious in the water i looked trust me the only thing that was hanging out were the adorable freaking sea lions. So many adorable, fat, very loud sea lions. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with them. I have video, I'll post it. The waters were very calm when we were there, but the area is notoriously known as the Graveyard of the Pacific. Thanks to the combination of high seas, a mighty river, land shallow and shifting sandbag bars make the Columbia River Bar one of the most dangerous bar crossings in the world. Here, waves can exceed 40 feet in height 
during the most severe winter storms. Since 1792, approximately 2,000 vessels, including over 200 large ships, have sunk at the Columbia River Bar. More than 700 people have lost their lives to the sea. That is why the area is known as the Graveyard of the Pacific. Makes sense. To make it even more frightening, many people re have reported seeing sea monsters in the area. In Astoria, they have their very own sea serpent named Colossal Claude. Now, Colossal Claude has sightings going back almost a hundred years. The Columbia River Lightship is usually credited with the first reported sighting of the mysterious Claude near the South Jetty at the mouth of the Columbia. In 1934, the ship encountered a large animal swimming near the mouth of the Columbia River. First mate L.A. Larson described the creature as about 40 feet long. It had a neck some eight feet long, a big round body, a mean looking tail, and an evil snaky look to its head. The Bend Bo Bulletin published this description. Its head was underwater but we could see its long body. It appeared to be at least 40 feet in length. The Salem Capital Journal reported that according to Captain J.F. Jensen, all members of the crew had seen the serpent, which had a neck about eight feet long with a large head. It opened its mouth and gaped at the lighthouse. I'm just like picturing a sea serpent coming out and just dropping its jaw. It's like, oh shit, people. The crew studied the animal for a while through binoculars and waited and wanted, there we go, and wanted to lower a boat and pursue the creature. But the officers decided that was probably a bad idea, afraid it might turn on them and swamp the boat or attack them quick sidebar here. I will be honest and tell you I didn't know what a light ship was. My mind was going to like a very small ship kind of thing. Um, no, that's not right. I'm from the mountains. We don't have things like that here. So I had to look it up. A light ship is apparently exactly what it sounds like. It's a floating lighthouse that helps ships navigate the treacherous waters of the Columbia. I think it makes sense that these guys were the first ones to witness Claude since they are out there just watching for ships and storms. The thing is, it wasn't just these guys. The sightings just continued. A skipper, Charles E. Graham, witnessed the sea creature and described it as long, hairy, tan-colored, with the head of an overgrown horse, about 40 feet long, and with a four-foot waist measurement. Another story has the monster stealing 
fish. I was able to find the original article entitled, Huge Serpent Grabs Halibut, Save Fisherman. Historia, April 15th. The first sea serpent story of this season has arrived in port today aboard the halibut schooner Argo of Portland. Captain Chris Anderson and his crew of four reported that a huge creature took a 20-pound halibut off their lines a short distance off the Columbia River mouth. This creature, about 50 feet long and 10 feet in diameter, came within 15 feet of the Argo, throwing up a big swell, Anderson said. Its head was like a camel, and its fur was coarse and gray, said Anderson, who has fished for 25 years off the northwest coast. It had glassy eyes and a bent snout it used to push the halibut into its mouth. That same year, Richard O'Donnell and Van Herms Dream Steamship Line employees saw a monster 40 miles off Talamook Bay that they described as large-headed and thick-necked. Necta. Sightings of colossal clawed or similar creatures appear to have slowed down by the 1960s until we get Marvin the Monster, which I will talk about him later, except for this story from author Jefferson Davis in his book Haunted Astoria. He has a story from a local, local fisherman who had taken his boat up the Columbia River east of Astoria in 1989. They were dragging a net several hundred feet long and around 30 feet deep. When they tried to haul in their catch for the day, they found they had snagged and that, that halted the ship's motion and started to pull the bow of the boat down into the water. Captain Donald Resnick throttled the boat forward and freed the ship from whatever had snagged it, but was shocked to discover a large hole in the net that measured several feet across when they reeled the net in. While it was never clear what the net had grabbed, the story only added to the tales of a giant sea serpent seen swimming in the Columbia River. In my research, I went down a rabbit hole of the Oregonian newspaper archive. Unfortunately, a lot of the old papers are very difficult to read. I'm not sure if the papers were damaged or the digitation didn't go very well, but I've been trying to read them and now my eyes hurt. Anyway, 
I found an article that contains a sketch from first mate L.A. Larson of the Columbia Lightship, the very first reported sighting, the guy that was quoted. It's a rough sketch for sure. It shows the classic long neck and large oval body. You know, the classic plesiosaur look. I remember way back when watching a show about the Loch Ness Monster and how the famous surgeon's photo seemed to change a lot of sea serpent descriptions. Like everything was like a sea serpent, your classic snake-like creature. And then after that, everybody started seeing long-necked, humped sea monsters. So I thought that was very interesting. And both of these stories happened in the 30s. So I had to, I had to do some checking just to make sure. Now, there are two famous photos of Nessie in the early 1930s. One by Hugh Gray in 1933 that looks like something slithering through the water or depending on your perspective a dog with a stick i'm completely serious i'll post the picture i have been watching a lot of oarfish videos and i think it looks more like something like that but i can also see the dog too the other famous, perhaps infamous photo is, of course, the surgeon's photo. That's the one everybody knows. You look up Loch Ness Monster picture, it's the surgeon's photo. Everybody knows this photo. The Daily Mail first published the photo on April 21st, 1934. L.A. Larson's drawing was published Friday, March 30th, 1934. So L.A. Larson was not influenced by the surgeon's photo. I thought that was really interesting. Now, let me tell you, it was like sea serpent mania at this point. Everybody was seeing one or knew someone that had seen it. Like, there are just hundreds of different sea serpent or different sightings it's it's insane like the article about the halibut uh incident talks about oh the first sea serpent sighting of the season has happened this is a fairly regular occurrence i was it was honestly really hard to find anything about claude because if you type in sea serpent into the Oregonian archives, you get over a, over 200 hits in the decade of the 30s. And most of the articles weren't about Claude. So, does Claude have cousins? Right after this, I'll be right back with some of Claude's closest neighbors, including one that was also captured on film near Astoria. The 
history of sightings of sea serpents in the Pacific Northwest is as long and vast as the Columbia herself. Stories of these creatures date back way before white people settled the area, back to the oral traditions of native tribes. There are many, many fantastic sea creatures described in Northwest Coastal Tribes oral traditions, including the, and I would, I'm going to just automatically say it, I apologize in advance for my pronunciations, Ooh. including the Sisitul, which often is depicted as a double-headed serpent in the Wesgo, Wesgo? Or the sea wolf in the Kelkalkin? Oh man. I I feel like disrespectful even trying to pronounce these without help. Anyways. Uh traditions along the coast of Vancouver Island. British Columbia and Southeast Alaska. Early reports of sea monsters appeared in non-native sources as early as 1905. Some of the first publications of sea serpents, however, are a little more whimsical and tongue-in-cheek, like the Sunday Oregonians caught by a savage sea toad in 1905. That sounds like some bad erotica or something. And the Great White Serpent of the Mallory, a tale of love and adventure in 1911. It looks like Maori, but it has extra L's in it. There were some attempts at serious sea serpent journalism with the 1906 piece in the Oregon Sunday Journal. Sea serpents that are not a summer resort delusion and an Oregonian article sea serpents they are a reality and not a myth caught readers imaginations in 1913 so historically even Claude is not alone one of my favorites was reported in 1937 a mist the Claude sightings, but this one wasn't in Astoria. It was 150 miles down the Oregon coast line. In that sighting, a couple just south of Yachas, near a rocky outcrop known as the Devil's Churn and the Hecata Head Lighthouse, reported seeing an animal estimated at 35 feet long swimming in the Pacific Ocean. According to their account, the creature had a head similar to that of a giraffe's, complete with incessantly fluttering ears and 8 to 10 inch long horns. Come on! Incessantly fluttering ears automatically is adorable. And then it has horns. This is my favorite one. The sighting resulted in locals dubbing the animal the Yachas Serpent. 
This one is usually grouped in with the colossal Claude sightings as being the same creature. I think because of the proximity and the timing, but I'm not 100% sure since the description is a bit different from the Claude ones. I think the lightship guys would have noticed horns. Some of these other fellow monsters are named in an article by Peter Kames entitled Colossal Claude and the Sea Monsters. Sounds like a superhero movie. Uh, that was published in the Oregonian September 24th, 1967. In addition to Claude and Marvin, the watery denizens have been sighted off Newport, Bandon, Nelscott, Waldport, Empire, the Lake, and also in Crescent and Crater Lakes. They come in several varieties and sizes. Some are shiny and some have scales. Some reportedly have coarse fur. There is even a variety of mini monster out there. One thing they usually have in common is the shape of their heads. Observers describe the heads of that of a camel, giraffe, or horse. You know, one of those creatures. But each of the descriptions is really unique. Sea serpents were seen off the coast of Bandon, including a 12 and a half foot long animal with a bulbous head and cow-like body covered in brownish hair. I'm so amused by the ones that have hair. In 1939, more than 30 people saw a 30-foot serpent off the coast of Nelscott, now a part of Lincoln City, that had a slender neck and a snake-like head. Reports of a 22-foot hairy-chested monster washed up on the beach at Dud Lake brought people hurrying to the spot on March 4, 1950. This creature quickly became dubbed Old Harry. It had a body of a cow, approximately nine tails, and is covered with hair all over the body and legs, ran one enthusiastic account. Pretty teenager Mary Bell Alum of DeLake was the first to stumble on Old Harry. Then her dad, town marshal Adam Lamum, Alum had to look. He said the monster weighed all of a thousand pounds. This just reminds me of the beginning of one of those 1950s sci-fi B movies and I'm really here for it. The what old Harry was is up for debate. Was up for debate I guess technically. I don't think a lot of people still debate it. It's a whale shark undoubtedly said Dr. E.W. Gudgerd of the American Museum of Natural History, a harmless creature with the body shaped like a tadpole. Will Blubber, said an Oregon Fish Commission biologist, it's an alasso, alasmo branch, said Professor Fred J. Colrus of the University of Portland. It's a sea inhabitant whose bones remain in the cartilage stage. 
Despite all the learned thinking, the who and what of old Harry has never satisfactorily been explained. Other sightings were reported near Newport and Empire, most of them describing a head similar to that of a camel or horse and a body with scales, smooth skin, or fur. Another story from Crescent Lake says Henry Sherwig and Bert Vincent were fishing on the lake. Harry later reported, I suddenly noticed that the fish had stopped biting. Then I noticed fish scooting away and the water started boiling. Then I saw a huge round head break water not far from the boat. The next day, Bert also saw the thing himself, as did others on the lake shore. Crescent and Crater Lakes have some weird stuff attached to them. I might just have to visit them this next year when we're out there. My point here is to reiterate to you that there are a lot of sea serpents reported around this time, but there is one that was incredibly prolific at the time, who made my research into specifically Claude very difficult, and that is Cadborosaurus, or Caddy. The stories of Caddy could be its own podcast series. So I will do my best to kind of sum them up. Caddy is the name given to the sea monster that was first seen around Cadborough Bay in Greater Victoria, British Columbia. Cadborosaurus wilsi, yes, someone gave it a scientific name, is said by witnesses to resemble a serpent with ventral coils or humps in tandem behind the horse-like head and long neck with a pair of small elevating front flippers and either a pair of hind flippers or a pair of large webbed hind flippers fused to form a large fan-like tail region that provides forward propulsion. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Maybe not that a uh, tail part. There have been over 300 sightings over 200 years from Northern British Columbia all the way south to San Francisco attributed to Caddy. So in my research into Claude, I kept finding Caddy. And some of the caddy stories are insane. I love it. There, there's so much. There are reports of multiple dead ones found and examined. There's stories of people claiming to have captured live baby ones even. And like, all I could think of is the water horse with like the kids and the baby sea monster in the bathtub. I might have to look one of those up for a spooky snippet. There's a lot. A lot of cryptozoologists have lumped the Claude sightings into the larger Cadborosaurus sightings, assuming it's at least probably the same type of creature. What type of creature? No one really knows. Some cryptozoologists theorize that they are leftover plesiosaurs or basilosaurs? which are large predatory prehistoric whales, 
that have somewhat survived into modern times. Other times, they can be misidentified known creatures like sea lions, seals, eels, or oarfish, which, I don't know, a couple of those cow-like descriptions make my mind go to manatees, but uh, I don't think we have manatees this far north. I'm not sure. Or the really disappointing option, a floating log. And these naysayers have been around since the beginning. After the first sighting of Claude, the Oregonian published an article entitled Columbia River Sea Serpent Log Sailor Declares. It reads, Astoria, April 7th. The Columbia River Sea Serpent reported basking leisurely in the spring sunshine three weeks ago near the lightship off of the South Jetty was virtually petrified here today by Lawrence Hoist, a seaman from the lightship. Ashore today after a two-month sojourn on the lightship Columbia, Hoist declared that the reputed sea serpent was nothing but a partially submerged log with a curved limb for a neck. I watched it for hours. It didn't move once. The woods are full of such serpents, he observed. The article I read you about Claude stealing the halibut actually ends with, other fishermen said the creature might possibly be a huge sea elephant, such as are occasionally seen on the halibut banks. So, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But I certainly believe there's something out there. There has to be. Our Earth is 72% covered by oceans, and according to NOAA, 80% of that has never been mapped, observed, or explored. That's a lot of our Earth that we know nothing about. And that's a lot of space for something we don't know to go about living their lives perfectly happily. Not knowing about us, let's be honest. This is probably why there is always some new discovery in the oceans happening. Does anyone else remember when the shrill shark was discovered? That was so exciting! Or I guess technically rediscovered because I think he was in the fossil records but that was so cool especially with all this climate change things are coming up from the depths who knows what we will find next with technology getting more advanced people have been able to capture things on camera in the ocean that we could have never dreamed of which leads me to my last monster for you, who's appropriately named Marvin. In 1963, the Shell Oil Company was off the Oregon coast searching for a drill site when the underwater cameras picked up something strange. The film shows a 15-foot long creature with barnacled ridges along its body. swimming in a 
sort of corkscrew fashion at a depth around 180 feet deep. That's really down there. The film footage caused a bit of a sensation when it was screened and the creature was called rather jokingly Marvin the Mo Monster. I keep saying Marvin the Martian and I bet you that's where the name basically comes from because of the popularity of Looney Tunes at the time. But if you hear me struggling, that's why. The University of California believes Marvin is an Entifor jellyfish? Scripps University, nope, Scripps Institute of Oceanography thinks he's a celipidid? Another jellyfish? The University of Washington guess it's a Sinfonformor? Another type of jellyfish. And all of these are some crazy looking motherfuckers, let me tell you. I spent way too much time watching videos on YouTube. If these things don't make you believe in monsters, I don't know what will. It's insane. They're, it is so hard to believe that some of these things actually exist. They're, they look like some weird CGI bad avatar things. It's weird. It's weird. My favorite theory, of course, of Marvin's identity is from the University of Texas, which believes simply that is a creature left over from prehistoric times. The article I got this from didn't say which prehistoric creature though. It, not gonna lie, you look at it, it, it kind of looks very Kraken-esque if you ask me. The article ends so beautifully with this. But the fishermen hunched over their beer glasses in Astoria taverns, no otherwise. Misty blue eyes strain seaward with not a little affection. They say it's probably Claude. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. My Haunted Life podcast is written, researched, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Angela Hartshorn. If you are interested in any more pictures, info, and my sources for this week's episode, make sure to check out my website, myhauntedlifepodcast.com, for, and for everything, because I haven't figured out how to do pictures that well on the website, check out the Patreon page, your one-stop shop for everything My Haunted Life, where you can also help support the show for $2 a month. If you have information about today's episode, you want to tell me or a ghost story to share, email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com or write me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, all at myhauntedlifepodcast. Uh, I guess I technically have a Twitter too that I kind of forget about, but it's there. Uh, and that's my haunted life pod. I believe. While you're there, please like and follow and comment. It honestly makes my day. Music is from Ghost Stories Incorporated. And that's it for this show. I'll see you all next week on My Haunted Life podcast. 
And until then, stay spooky. <laughs>